0: Well, folks, we have uh, predictable but heartbreaking news for you. The Biden administration has lifted the restrictions on dispensing the abortion pills by mail, so snail mail abortions, reversing the Trump administration's, if you recall, their policy that the Supreme Court actually backed in January. Packed with new fetal bigots from the new woke administration, the FDA is giving the pro-abortion movement what they've always wanted, which is male-order murder. So with us today to discuss this deadly news and debunk the many lies surrounding the abortion pill is our good friend Dr. Brent Bowles, who has practiced Uh, Medicine, for over 30 years, has delivered babies over the 30-year period. Uh, Recently relocated to the free estate in Florida and continues to be an advocate for the pre-born and a real expert when it comes to the abortion reversal pill. As a previously on-call doctor in his previous state for women who wanted to reverse their medication abortions and his delivered babies that were saved because of the abortion reversal pill. I know you're a friend of Dr. Brent Bowles. We're gonna dive into all of this and equip you to stand for life. All that and more, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. (laughs) Dr. Brent, welcome to the show again. Good to see you, Seth. You, too. You're looking good. You're looking well-read. I love your backdrop, and uh, we appreciate you bringing your brilliance to this show. So um, we, we predicted this on this show. Uh, you predicted this. Uh, we warned these woke pro-life evangelicals for Biden um, exactly what they'd be getting through their political advocation for the most pro-abortion administration in American history. And one of those things that we warned of was, listen, you're going to get abortion pills Uh, snail mail all around the country and they were pushing for this during COVID and it became very clear where the priorities of this administration uh, laid and now we're getting exactly that. So but before we jump in all of that Dr. Brent for maybe new listeners to this show or maybe newly activated pro-lifers who are learning the playing field uh, and they want to get informed in order to be equipped can you firstly just give us a brief overview of what the abortion pill is um, and how it works? Sure.
1: Um, medication abortion was approved in the United States 20, 21 years ago, uh, in the year 2000, uh, the Clinton administration pushed the FDA for a rapid approval of this medication and that's, it was approved at the end of the Clinton administration. Um, there's a proge- there's a hormone produced by the pregnant woman's body called progesterone. In fact, it's produced before a pregnancy begins. The ovary each month during a woman's cycle begins producing progesterone on the day that she ovulates. And it continues to produce that progesterone until she either conceives or two weeks from ovulation has gone by. And then at, at that point, if she's not pregnant, the progesterone level falls and she has her next period and starts the cycle for the next month. Uh, But if she has conceived, then that zygote has already begun communicating with her body by means Mm. of a biochemical messenger called human chorionic gonadotropin, or HCG. HCG is the single cell and the, you know, HCG is the hormone produced by this tiny little human being, only a Mm. few cells, um, But it speaks to the mother and says, I'm here, Uh, you're going to be pregnant,
0: Hmm. or you
1: are pregnant, and it's going, well, we're going to be together here for the next nine months. So this unborn child that the other side calls a clump of cells is already talking to the mother's body. Wow. In response to this HCG, the ovary continues to produce progesterone for the next, you know, for the first thirteen weeks of pregnancy, right. um, or eleven weeks after ovulation. Uh, at that point, the placenta is big enough to provide the progesterone the pregnancy needs for the remainder of the pregnancy. And progesterone is very important. Progesterone enables better blood flow into the uterus. It stabilizes the placenta. It keeps the Uh, muscular wall of the uterus relaxed so that it will stretch and grow and accommodate this growing child so that the increased blood flow will uh, provide the oxygen and fluid and nutrition and and waste exchange that the growing child needs. Um, And without progesterone, the pregnancy will be lost. For over 50 years, we have been supplementing high-risk pregnancies with progesterone. In fact, we started using progesterone in high-risk pregnancies before Roe versus Wade was decided in 1973. We've been wow. using it for more than 50 years, uh, with excellent wow. safety and efficacy data. And um, so,
0: just just for our listeners, um, to 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 in even more simplistic terms, what you're saying is in high-risk pregnancies where the child is more likely to die before reaching a gestational age that they can be born and survive. Doctors like yourself would just give women more progesterone to help the pregnancy continue yes. in a more safe and healthy manner.
1: Yes, women who've had multiple miscarriages uh, sometimes have those because their body won't produce as much progesterone as they need. And if we just supplement them with progesterone until the placenta is producing enough, then they do fine. Wow. So. Biochemical pharmaceutical researchers in France, uh, I believe in the 1980s, began researching ways to cause abortion to happen uh, by just taking medication instead of performing it surgically. And they decided to create a progesterone blocker. Uh, They developed a molecule that we call mifepristone or RU486 or mifeprex, those are the three different names for it um, that when administered would block the action of progesterone on the wall of the uterus. It diminishes Mm -hmm. the blood flow into the placenta, uh, that tissue deprived of oxygen and proper fluid and nutrition uh, becomes weak and unstable. It's attachment to the wall of the uterus becomes unstable and the uterus is more sensitive to uh, the beginning of contractions. they frequently are referred to as cramps when it's a miscarriage or a medication abortion. But if you're at the end of the pregnancy, we call it labor. Right. Um, so that's, that's how the contents of the uterus, how the baby, uh, is expelled. Uh, wow. and, and that's what a medication abortion does. It interferes with the progesterone and then one to two days later, a medicine to induce, cramping, or labor, whichever you want to call it, um, is administered and the the baby is expelled, um, wow. obviously at a gestational age that is far too soon for it to have a chance of surviving once delivered. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, so, so that's- we're, What that's we're essentially talking about is we're talking about biological warfare.
1: <laughs> yes, chemical we- it's a chemical weapon.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, it's wow. a weapon of mass destruction that targets the unborn.
0: Wow. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Brent. And for for you guys listening to the show, if you want to learn more about the history of the abortion pill, check out live action news investigative report um, on the abortion pill. I also did an episode several months back called Cancel the Abortion Pill, where we went through a lot of the findings of live actions investigative report. One of those damning (laughs) findings uh, and research showing That the same um, company that was a shareholder of the company who created Zyklon B, the gas used to murder Jews, was the same shareholder company that produced the poison to kill babies through the abortion pill. So there's a very nasty history to the abortion pill, um, shocker, uh, and a lot of links with other genocidal um, maniacs who functionally believe the same worldview as the pro-choice individual, which is that not all humans are persons. And so thank you for that overview dr brent so the breaking news that we predicted and that many tragically evangelicals are responsible for um, by lending their power and political vote to individuals who promise to do this is that according to politico on april 12th the fda is lift its curbs on dispensing abortion pills during the pandemic Um, I'm going to give a a four sentence overview of the history in the last year of this, Brent, and then I want you to launch in and help us understand more of this. So in May, you guys, of 2020, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, which is incredibly pro-abortion and other abortion supporting groups sued the HHS and the FDA with ACLU lawyers to challenge the FDA's risk evaluation and mitigation strategy rule, which I want you to jump into in just a second, Dr. Brent. Then on July 13th, a federal judge, I believe his name was Theodore Huang, suspended the rule requiring women during COVID to visit a hospital clinic or medical office to obtain RU486. Uh, I'm sorry, a federal judge suspended that rule and then another judge um, overruled that and said women could access the abortion pill. Um, via telemedicine during this portion of um, the quote-unquote pandemic. Then in January, while Trump was still president, the Supreme Court granted a request from the FDA to reinstate the federal requirement that the abortion pill be picked up in person during or after an in-person evaluation. Um, But we had no guarantees on that, knowing how soon the new administration was going to take over and probably knowing very likely that that was going to change. And indeed, it has. So we are talking about snail mail abortions. We're talking about mail order murder. Um, And there are many reasons why all individuals, pro-life or pro-choice, should be opposed to that. So, Dr. Brent, can you explain to us what is REMS? Again, I've talked about this on the show, but for new listeners, what is the risk evaluation and mitigation strategy that the FDA had in place and why is it important?
1: Well, there are over 20,000 medications that are approved by the FDA for use in the United States. Um, Some medications clearly have significant risks and uh, there are additional restrictions placed on their prescribing. Most medication that is of a routine level of risk or a low level of risk Can be prescribed by any doctor for any purpose that they feel is clinically appropriate um off-label usage is a common thing um you know there may be an antibiotic that's approved officially by the fda just for an ear infection but we use it for sore throats and sinuses and things like that so there's most prescriptions you know responsible doctors know what to do with and uh there don't need to be any restrictions but when there are substantial issues uh, that can occur. Uh, And one example is the use of medications like Suboxone and Subutex, that are some of the newer medications used for the management of opiate addiction, which is a huge crisis in this country, uh, because they themselves are terribly addictive. um, And because people who aren't on those medications can suffer complications if they suddenly take a dose of that. There are restrictions on their use. They are prescribing is only allowed by doctors that have completed particular certifications in appropriately managing that. So suboxone and subutex are subject to a risk evaluation and mitigation strategy. This is just a protection by the FDA, an extra layer of protection for the patient for the consumer of pharmaceutical goods that when a particular medication has a higher level of risk and a substantial uh, risk of an adverse outcome if used inappropriately, then there are additional restrictions on their use and you can't use them in off-label fashions uh, as easily. Well, there, The last time I counted, there were only 57 medications currently available in the United States out of over 20,000 that were subject to a, to a REMS protocol, hmm. uh, and mifepristone is one of them. Uh, wow. it, it is important for the woman who is seeking a medication abortion to know exactly how far along she is so that she's not given the medication when she's too far along. That increases the risk of incomplete passage of tissue, The risk of hemorrhage, the risk of a blood transfusion being needed, the risk of surgery being needed, and the risk of an infection, uh, some of which are fatal after medication abortions. Mm. Um, And as we've talked before, roughly 50% of women are wrong on how far along they are when they base that decision or that determination just on their menstrual period. FDA required an in-person evaluation be accomplished so that either by physical examination or by the use of an ultrasound, the provider could administer the medication knowing that the woman was in the window during which it had been deemed to be appropriate, and knowing that she really had a pregnancy inside the uterus and not an ectopic pregnancy.
0: Right. Um,
1: Those were both mentioned as important details in the REMS protocol that women can't be farther along than 10 weeks and women must have an intrauterine pregnancy verified those are safety protections the rims protocol was not a intended to be a burden on a woman who wants to exercise what the 1973 supreme court said was a constitutional right that's not what it was at all it was doing the same thing for women in that situation that the entire rest of the medical industry does when we subject ourselves and cooperate with legitimate regulation and oversight. Real healthcare does that. The abortion industry never submits to regulation and oversight. They fight it in court every time it's imposed upon them. And so they're not healthcare. Yeah. If you don't act like healthcare, if you don't put the patient's safety first, just like legitimate healthcare providers do, wow. then it is galling to yeah. call yourself healthcare.
0: Right. That's that's beautifully put, Dr. Brennan. We're going to get into more of that in a second. What Dr. Brennan is saying, you guys, is that essentially the abortion movement and the Democratic Party is willing to compromise and willingly harm the health of women seeking abortion. Um, under the guise of expanding access to abortion, even though they know that these safety guidelines that have been put in place by the FDA were not put in place in many cases even by pro-life individuals. These are just common sense safety regulations to ensure that women who are convinced that they need to kill their unborn child are not harmed or killed in the process of killing their unborn child. Now, obviously we oppose the abortion bill because it kills a little human being. Um, But once it becomes clear, that you're violating safety guidelines, which will harm just the mother, even if you don't care about the child, it becomes untenable for a pro-choice individual to continue to defend removing those safety regulations. And so undiagnosed ectopic pregnancies can lead to women who are dying, because of a ruptured um, uh, fallopian tube. And then if women are taking the abortion pill past 10 weeks, but they think they're before 10 weeks, that can lead to incomplete abortions or infections for the mother. In in fact, Dr. Bren, I saw, according to a committee opinion from the ACOG, American College of obstetricians and gynecologists on dating pregnancies that up to 50% of women will be wrong about their gestational age when relying only on recall of their last menstrual period. Uh, and so I think it's safe to say that the abortion industry is willing to use women as sacrificial lambs on the pursuit of abortion access. Is that right?
1: That's exactly right. Um, you mentioned earlier, we oppose medication abortion for two reasons. Each one kills an innocent human baby and it's risky for the mother. It puts her at unnecessary risk. The other side who needs to hear what we're saying, they don't care about the baby. Okay. Listen to what we have to say about patient safety then, because you cannot stand on the ground that you have plowed and with a straight face, and complete awareness of these facts and say that it's safe, you can't.
0: Yep. And we're gonna get into those facts, up think. And still be pro-healthcare pro, pro healthcare for women, that's right. Awesome, we're gonna get into that next. But first, if you guys like this show and wanna hear more great content and commentary from the front lines of the abortion wars and the pro-life movement, then head on over to patreon.com forward slash unaborted and consider becoming a patron of the show. Check out our fun tiers there. We'll actually be adding a new one soon if you wanna get in on a pro-life book club and discuss these ideas to get more equipped to defend life. But check those out. This will help us create more episodes, improve our production value, begin creating interactive content and putting these ideas in a conversational format with people on the street and in the public square to uh, equip people to defend life while also exposing the, the fallacies and the bigotry of choice and how these arguments commit the same mistakes as every other historical genocide has does, cannot account for human equality, um, and ultimately leads to the death and murder of innocent human beings. We need to get these ideas in front of the American public, and your support helps us do that. Thank you so much. We'll be right back with a whole lot more. Welcome back to the show, guys. We are continuing our excellent conversation with the brilliant Dr. Brent Bowles discussing the Biden administration's new decision to rescind the FDA's risk evaluation and mitigation strategy safety requirements, which prevented the abortion pill from being shipped via snail mail, uh, which required in-person evaluations before getting the abortion pill. And Dr. Brent just went through all of the reasons as to why um, supporting the uh, risk evaluation mitigation strategy is, is really so common sense. So, uh, Dr. Brent, uh, this political article, right, that uh, just came out uh, announcing this change, a couple lines in here I wanted to throw at you and get your response to, uh, political obviously being incredibly far left and pro-abortion. Um, they say here, um, Dr. or rather, Jen Villavicencio says, Mifepristone has very few risks at all. She's a health policy fellow with ACOG, no surprise there. She says it is more safe than over-the-counter medications like ibuprofen and Tylenol. She says, we know this medication can be safely administered via telemedicine because we've studied it. So what's your reaction to that claim?
1: That just makes me really sad that a professional trained person can say that kind of stuff with a straight face. and either lack the ability to have critically looked at the data or just ignore the data and speak in favor of an ideology over patient safety. First question for Jen, whoever she is. If MiFaprex is really less risky than over-the-counter Tylenol and Ibuprofen, why don't those two medications have a REMS protocol on them? If they're more dangerous, than a medication that has a REMS protocol. Why can you walk into any drugstore or grocery <laughs> store and buy as much as you want, whenever you want? Now, they, Dr. It, Brent, just you're just making too much sense. <laughs>
0: That's right. It, it, Interesting. They,
1: they diminish the credibility of an otherwise honorable profession when they stand mm. there and say stuff like that. It's wow. not true. Go look at this more than 6,000 adverse event reports that have been filed with the FDA about Mifeprex. More than 6,000 adverse event reports that were just reviewed by the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs, an organization of medical professionals that's nearly 10,000 strong that tells the truth about this issue. Wow. Um, it's it's mind boggling and, wow. and that the public just accepts it without asking questions.
0: That's right. Um, and we're going to so, get into more of that in a second regarding the adverse events, because one of the things that people aren't aware of is that many of the adverse events and repercussions for the woman of taking the abortion pill are not reported. And if they are reported, they're not reported to the abortion industry. So we're going to get to that in a little bit, because I th- I think that's important for our listeners to be able to understand what's going on. Um, and be able to to make the case as to why every American should oppose mail-order murder. This political article goes on, Dr. Brenton says, Acting FDA Commissioner Janet Woodcock informed the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists in a letter Monday, uh, this being April 12th, I believe, that her agency concluded that allowing patients to receive the pills via telemedicine and through the mail will not increase risks and will keep people safe from contracting the virus. Your response.
1: First, (laughs) she's ignoring the data from England. Um, England, uh, the the British government, their national health service, they loosened these restrictions uh, before we did. And very soon after they made mail order abortion widely available, the number of ambulance runs that would pick up women and take them to an emergency room after they had taken on a medication abortion doubled. Wow. It doubled. The number of women needing to be taken to a hospital in an ambulance with the siren lights screaming and flying doubled uh, wow. after England made mail order abortion available. So the FDA completely ignored that. Um, wow. That that news story broke before the FDA made this decision. Um, and if they really and cared about the issue, they would be paying attention to those things.
0: That's right. And, and isn't England's guidelines regarding reporting adverse events far more strict than here in America?
1: It is more strict. Um, they, they do have better reporting there. Uh, that's that's another problem that I think we'll get into in a little bit with drawing conclusions about safety based on American data. there's a there's a world
0: of hmm.
1: of difficulty in um, considering hmm. abortion safety data across the board to be right. legitimate.
0: Um, interesting. But
1: yes, England, typically European countries are much better about tracking accurate abortion. Statistics, abortion complication statistics, yeah. and abortion mortality
0: statistics. Yeah. Interesting. So, so that's, an impo- that's a powerful point to, to make because the individuals pushing this, they understand all of these realities. They're not stupid. I'm sure they saw the reports of adverse events and emergency care being needed for women who were attaining mail order abortions increasing by 100% in European countries. They know all of this. Uh, Once again, you guys, for you listening, you need to understand, I'm gonna say this over and over again, the abortion industry believes that women seeking abortions are sacrificial lambs to be offered on the altar of increasing access to abortion, because increasing access to abortion means more abortions. More abortions mean they make more money on performing those abortions. Interesting, when you dehumanize the baby in the womb, you'll dehumanize their mother as well. It, it, this, this point she makes, Dr. Bren, about, uh, telemedicine abortion pills, not increasing the risks of the woman, but keeping them fr- safe from contracting the virus. I thought this was an interesting claim because if that were the case, if they care so much about the health of women, right, we don't want them to get COVID right. Then why did Planned Parenthood and abortion clinics remain open during the, what I call scam shutdowns. If they were concerned about abortion patients contracting COVID, they would have volunteered to shut their doors. Not yes. not remain open and and accept the essential label that pro-abortion Democrats granted to them, but not other um, you know ambulatory surgical centers.
1: It's essential that you get to go see your cardiologist. It's essential that you get to go see your oncologist if you're dealing with cancer. It's essential to be able to access healthcare for other problems. But most states, and this Tennessee where I was practicing at the time included. Put a moratorium on elective surgeries. They asked doctors' offices to only see the most acute things. Lots of doctors' offices closed. And some did so poorly during this time when they weren't ready to accommodate that, that they went out of business forever.
0: Um, Wow, that's right. But
1: rather than comply with restrictions on elective surgery, to help preserve the amount of personal protective equipment that was available, and to reduce the exposure risk, in virtually every state that tried to get the abortion clinics to to close, like the rest of healthcare did, right. Planned Parenthood sued for it. They sued right. to stay open, so they could continue to see women, and they just totally disregarded what the rest of healthcare, you know restrictions that the rest of healthcare complied with. So break this down for a minute. Let's let's just chat about this. If you look at the chance that a young reproductive age woman will get COVID and die by going to two appointments, in-person appointments at an abortion clinic, if that abortion clinic is you know, using gloves and wearing masks and properly disinfecting, like all other doctor's offices do.
0: Right.
1: The chance of dying from COVID if you're a reproductive age woman is less than your chance of having an ectopic pregnancy rupture, putting your life in danger if you do a mail order abortion.
0: Wow. Wow, that's powerful. Let, let, me, let me repeat that for our listeners. What, what Dr. Brent just said, you guys, is that a, the, a, a ch- the chance of a woman of reproductive age contracting and dying from COVID because she went to an in-person evaluation before getting the abortion pill is significantly less likely than the likelihood that she'll get harmed or die from a ruptured fallopian tube because her ectopic pregnancy wasn't diagnosed because the safety guidelines weren't in place and so she could get mail-order abortion pills. Uh, that, that's, that's powerful, so, so much for the health of women, I guess.
1: Yeah, exactly, and it's, it's not about the health of women. If it was about the health of women, we wouldn't be having this conversation. We okay. would still have plenty to oppose because we believe that the life of the child matters too. Um, but we wouldn't be having this particular conversation, trying to let people know what this, what the abortion industry is doing. A minute ago, you mentioned that it's just it's a profit-driven thing. Of course, sending out mail-order abortion is more profitable. When when you run a facility that has to be open, a brick-and-mortar facility. You have, have to pay for the facility. You either buy it and maintain it or you rent it. There are ongoing expenses. You have to have more staff to right. be receptionists, to answer the phone, to greet those people, to to bring them in, to clean the waiting room at the end of the day, to right. take the patient back to the exam rooms. There's, there's a lot of overhead. And if you are a facility that offers surgical abortions, there's even more overhead because you have to maintain... Wow. A procedure room that's suitable for a surgical procedure, and you're supposed to sterilize your equipment between patients, but abortion clinics have been caught not doing so. Um, and we can't verify that they do or not because we're not allowed to inspect them. But maintaining this amount of overhead to do in person surgical and medication abortions is expensive. That's right. But if you're doing mail order abortions, you need a free Skype link like we're using. And you need a postage stamp to send the woman five cheap pills, one pill of Mifepristone and four pills of Cytotec. I don't know what Mifepristone costs the abortion provider, but it's, it can't be very much. And the wow. Cytotec wow. is probably only 25 cents a pill. So wow. you pop those in an envelope with a postage stamp and you've just drastically reduced your overhead and mm-hmm. vastly increased your profit margin. And that's Perfect. what this is okay. all about.
0: That's right, exactly. And on top of that, Dr. Bren, as you know, in some states, it's very difficult for abortion clinics to find enough abortionists. On top of that, many states, like the one you live in, have done a good job um, prohibiting abortion at later terms, particularly when the baby meets the subjective definition of viable. And so there's an increased incentive to push abortions at an earlier gestational age. Um, when it's, it's, you're not going to run up against um, pro-life legislation and it, there's broad consensus and support for abortion in the first trimester. It's easy to convince the woman it's not a baby yet because she doesn't feel a kick. Um, there's all of these sort of um, other factors at play that, that people don't really think about and you can eliminate all of that overhead. Um, and increase your sales by pushing the abortion pill. And if you guys don't know, 90% of abortions are occurring in the first trimester. So there's a huge sample size of abortions that are available for use, for babies available to be killed by the abortion pill, um, more so than the 10% happening in the second and third trimester. So, Dr. Ben, obviously, as as pro-lifers, we're opposed to the abortion pill, first and foremost, for the same reason we're opposed to all abortions. It kills a unique distinct, innocent, and whole human being, simply because they're unwanted. But the reason the debate over the abortion pill is so interesting is because there are countless reasons for pro-choice individuals who don't support the rights of the unborn to oppose the abortion pill, period, actually even with REMS in place, and additionally, even more reasons to oppose telemedicine abortions or mail-order abortion pills. So beyond what we've just talked about, Dr. Brent, beyond the risk for undiagnosed ectopic pregnancies and misdating the gestational age of the baby, what else would you tell us? Why else should any reasonable person oppose mail-order abortions?
1: Well, it's undeniable that women do have complications afterwards. You know, the experience in England where using mail order abortions doubled the number of women that have to use an ambulance to get to the emergency room because of bleeding and pain and other problems.
0: Um, it's undeniable. I mean, the FDA has reported on some of those, the statistics yes. and likelihood of, of bleeding, of hemorrhaging, of painful cramps and all that.
1: Yes, so the, the issue, one of the issues um, that they claim mail order abortion is is necessary for is to serve the women who are too far from any abortion clinic to come in. Right. Well, what happens to that woman who gets her mail order abortion out of pulls the envelope out of the mailbox, takes her pill, has a complication, and is three hours away from the closest hospital?
0: Hmm.
1: And, and she's hemorrhaging, or she starts hurting and her ectopic is close to rupturing. You've, you've just given someone a medication by mail because you say she's too far to access healthcare, knowing that there's a chance she may need to access healthcare on an emergency basis. Wow. It's, that's just, that's double-minded. Uh, to, to use that as a reason to, to say that m- we must make mail-order abortion available in all 50 states because wow. some, some wow. women are too far away from the abortion clinics to get it. Well, then they're too far away to access health care if they have a complication. Yeah, so goes wrong. What, wow. what about those women?
0: Hmm.
1: They don't have so an you, answer You that. could
0: almost, you know, we're, we're calling this mail-order murder. In that case, you're almost talking about mail-order um, manslaughter double manslaughter, essentially, because with foresight, the abortion industry is pushing this. Knowing what happened in Europe, knowing that there's going to be increased, if double, if not more, cases of women who have died. As you've said before, the FDA has reported at least 24 women have died from the abortion pill that were reported. Um, We're talking about hemorrhaging. We're talking about ectopic pregnancies that will rupture and the woman will bleed out and die. You do not have hours to save a woman with a ruptured ectopic pregnancy. You have minutes, if that. And, and the abortion industry is doing all this with foreknowledge and with foresight, increasing the instances that this is happening in. So I think it's appropriate to say, you're really talking about male order double murder, um, and these women just become sacrificial lambs. Um, w- any other reasons? Why should this be reasonable for any person to oppose?
1: Why should male order abortion be reasonable uh, to oppose? Because of the things we've talked about, it's. It is not as safe as, as they claim. Uh, their motivation is not patient safety and patient convenience, it's personal profit for them. Um, there are substantial risks and women will be harmed by this. Uh, that's just undeniable. And the, the problem we have with having the general public understand this is you have abortion industry talking heads and talking heads from the left side of the aisle who stand and repeatedly say things that are provably false and Americans pick them up and too many of us believe them. They repeat these sound bites that are just as if they're a parrot. You know, they parrot those sound bites using no more brain power than a parrot does when it repeats what it hears. Um, but it becomes part of the vernacular. Um, you know, the "my body, my choice" is a soundbite. <coughs> it's it's <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> it's not a good argument. It's just a soundbite, and it's exactly. easy to take part. Well, hmm. so is the patient safety issue. For example, uh, they repeatedly tell us. That abortion must remain legal because thousands of women died every year before it was legal. And we've talked, you and I have talked about this before. It's simply not true. And even the Washington Post, a notoriously left wing paper, right. gave former Planned Parenthood president Leanna Wynn four Pinocchios when she <laughs> made that statement again. Right that thousands of women prior to Roe versus Wade died every year. Planned Parenthood's own Guttmacher Institute, their research arm, had a researcher who was there for more than 30 years who says that that number was very unlikely. It was likely never more than 1,000, probably was somewhere in the neighborhood of two or 300 a year. That's what Planned Parenthood's own researchers say, but their leaders keep trotting this thousands and thousands number out there as if it's true and that's one reason why people support um, or oppose any restrictions on abortion rights because they really believe that Um, but you and i've talked about it before if you look at the numbers and the washington post uh, admits that the cdc's data uh, was strong in that time, 1972, 1973. Um, In 1972, the year before Roe versus Wade was passed, abortion was legal in 17 states and illegal in 33. In that year, 1972, the number of women who died, according to the CDC, from illegal abortion was only 39. Not thousands, (laughs) but only 39. And the number of women who died from legal abortion that year was 24. So there was 24 women dying in 17 states and 39 women dying in all 50 from illegal abortions. So your risk of dying from a legal abortion in 1972 was higher than your risk of dying from an illegal one. Then in 1973, when it was legal in all 50 states, illegal abortion killed 19 women, and legal abortion killed 25. So the first year that abortion was legal in all 50 states, legal abortion killed more women than illegal abortion did. And it never broke 100 a year, according to the CDC. So their thousands and thousands number is a lie, and they know it. So a question for the supporter of abortion rights is why do you accept comments and conclusions about the safety of abortion from leaders in your movement who repeatedly lie about mm. it. And it wow. is provable. Why won't you look at the data yourself? Wow. Google will tell yeah. you this.
0: That's right, wow. So
1: it, it's not, you don't have to go write a research paper to figure this out. That's right. Spend 10 minutes on Google and you can verify what I've just told you.
0: That's right. Um, and the people So why who- do you believe it? And the people who push these lies about the number of women who died from illegal abortions have admitted that they lied, right? Not, so not only yes. can we find the, the raw data, but then the people who, who threw out the numbers of women dying from illegal abortions say, oh, we totally lied about that. I just watched a new Roe vs. Wade movie around the story of how this decision happened, particularly with Bernard Nathanson, who later became pro-life, and said, I, I, I created those lies in numbers of how many women were dying from illegal Uh, back-alley abortions. Um, On this point, though, regarding why people should oppose um, telemedicine abortions in particular, male-order murder, Dr. Brent, we've talked about the danger of ectopic pregnancies, just in general, women who are going to die from ectopic pregnancies. You actually have some data you shared the last time you were on the show, um, where you looked at how many undiagnosed ectopic pregnancies were happening um, and were rupturing now and then expounding upon that, assuming that the abortion pill became widely available via telemedicine. And you're talking about increased, increased percentages and numbers. So that that makes a lot of sense, particularly for a woman who is three hours from the hospital and somewhere in a rural area um, who has minutes for her life to be saved and is sacrificed by the abortion industry because they didn't didn't keep the safety guidelines in place to rule out ectopic pregnancy. But also with with misdating the gestational age of the pregnancy, right? So there's a 2000 um, Oxford University Press study you're probably aware of that found that the average failure rate of a medication abortion is 8%. So if you translate that, that means that about one in every 12 chemical abortion attempts will be unsuccessful. 1 in 12, which means women will need to be subjected to a surgical abortion. Um, So let's imagine the number of women, according to the the one data point from committee opinion from the ACOG that found that 50% of women will be wrong about the gestational age of their pregnancy. If you translate that data, Dr. Brent, and women are getting abortions via snail mail, how many of those women will experience incomplete abortions, have a dead baby that hasn't been fully properly expelled, are sitting in their dorm room or their home with that dead baby in their uterus, unaware that it was unsuccessful, and could be three hours from the hospital as they start developing sepsis? Um, so how, what type of tragic and horrific results do you expect we will see around the country especially in rural areas, thanks to this new mail-order murder?
1: I, I think that, um, I don't think I am convinced that we will see more incomplete abortions. Um, because as we've said, my own personal evaluation of my patients says that about 50% of them are wrong on their dating.
0: The American
1: College of OBGYN acknowledges and confirms that, that 50% of women, when you use only date period dating and you don't use sound 50% of the time you'll be wrong. So if male order abortion, or once it has become so widespread, 50% of women are going to be wrong on their dates. So the number of women who end up taking this pill and are farther along than they thought is going to be substantial. Now, Will we see the abortion industry acknowledge that? Will we see ACOG acknowledge that? No, we'll probably see them sweep it under the rug. Um, wow. Most emergency room doctors that see these patients don't know that they can report this to the FDA. They don't know how to report abortion complications to their own state health department or to the CDC. So we don't we're not getting the data. That's one of the problems with accepting, abortion industry statements about safety, is you can't make any judgment call about safety from abortion data in the United States. There are 50 states. Four states, including California, report no abortion statistics to the CDC. None, not the number performed, no demographic information, no complications, no deaths. They don't report them. Twenty-two states report some data, but not complications and deaths. Um, Twenty-eight states report complications and deaths, or they are required to, but there's no monitoring mechanism and no enforcement mechanism to ensure that complications and deaths are really reported. So when there's no way you can draw a conclusion based on data that is so inconsistent and incomplete across the country, how can you say it's safe? Because wow. their their statements about safety are based on data that is incomplete and
0: inaccurate. That's exactly right. But that's the primary way that abortion advocates defend the safety of medication abortion, right, is by pointing to statistics or studies illustrating how, you know, the widespread use of RU486 hasn't been dangerous for women. Um, And you mentioned on the show last time, Dr. Brent, why don't you just briefly uh, review the study and the recent report that you pointed to um, showing that large numbers of women who experience adverse events from the abortion pill don't even go back to the abortionists for treatment or follow-up so that those negative repercussions and adverse events are not even being, the follow up is not even happening with the person who provided the abortion pill. And so you have these huge numbers of women who have gone through crap that the abortion industry is not aware of, or they are aware of it and they don't want to highlight those statistics. What is that percentage? What are we talking about of of adverse events that we're aware of, but that are not being reported back to the abortion industry, so then therefore they're not reporting them to the FDA?
1: Well, the abortion industry itself admits that large numbers of patients are lost to follow-up, that they don't keep their regular follow-up or their recommended follow-up appointment with the abortion provider, um, and they, they don't see complications. What I have seen in you know, between 25 and 30 years of practice is that a significant number of women who have a problem after an abortion don't want to go back to their abortion provider and they come to their private OBGYN or they come to the emergency room. Um, and then I've also seen some who call their abortion provider and their problems are ignored. They're having pain and they're just told, well, that's just part of it, honey. It'll get better. Just take some ibuprofen. You know, and if that's the kind of answer that a woman with, whose ectopic pregnancy is about to rupture, when she took her mail order pills two days before and now she's hurting and she calls the provider that mailed them to her and says, I'm hurting, she's gonna be told, well, that's part of it. That's part of the process. So she's going to sit at home for even longer rather than going in to be evaluated. And you just, we're going to see a lot of problems, but that's, that's the problem that with, in terms of data, drawing conclusions, There is no reliable data about the safety of abortion. You cannot use the safety of abortion, or you cannot use the currently available data to prove that abortion is safe, surgical or medical. But what you can do is prove from the data we have available that there are concerns about the safety of abortion. Um, You know, it's just that's easy to do. You know part of the original rims strategy, RIMS protocol was that all complications had to be reported to the FDA. Mm-hmm. Some of them were reported by abortion providers, but many of those reports were sent to the FDA um, by the doctors that saw these patients in the emergency room, the mm-hmm. private gynecologists that did the DNC for the incomplete, Abortion and wow. they filed the reports. <clears throat> so, the study that just came out, a review of the data that was performed by members of the American Association of Pro Life OBGYNs, um, looked at more than 6,000 adverse event reports hmm. uh, that were filed with the FDA over a particular number of years. Got it. Um, now I'm sure the FDA didn't get 6,000 adverse event reports for Tylenol and ibuprofen,
0: <laughs> um, but they oh, wow. did
1: get more than 6,000 adverse event reports from, from Dan that had been submitted to Danco pharmaceutical. Wow. Um, the reviewers weeded through those, they excluded duplicates and they excluded anything that was reported from outside the United States and they excluded the reports that didn't have enough information to really assess how bad the complication was. So they ended up looking at about 2,500 really good reports that had a lot of data on whether or not blood had to be given, what kind of infection had to be treated, whether or not she had to have surgery, um, and even the number of deaths, um, that happened. So those things, um, looked at those things, and of the women who had to go to the hospital and have a surgery to take care of a complication after a medication abortion, two-thirds of them were performed by doctors other than the ones who did the abortion. Wow. So less than one, in with that particular evaluation of data shows that at least for these patients, only one-third of the patients who had a complication... Wow surgery, got it from the doctor who performed or provided the medication abortion. So they're just wow. not, it's not.
0: And something tells me uh, Planned Parenthood in the abortion industry isn't uh, pointing to those adverse events um, when they become aware of them to say, oh, wow, this is dangerous. Maybe we should, no. uh, maybe we should slow this down. Um, that's all very helpful, Dr. Brent. We, you know, we're, we wanna jump into uh, equipping some people with some questions um, that they can ask individuals um, as to why they could support telemedicine abortions, uh, medicine abortions just to give them some firepower to stand for life. However, there's a huge point I want to address briefly before we do that, and that is how this mail-order murder, this removal of the risk evaluation and mitigation strategy safety requirements from the FDA that prevented telemedicine abortions that the Democratic Party and the Biden administration is pushing will be a pipe dream for traffickers pimps and degenerate boyfriends and fathers who will use this opportunity to force or coerce abortions on their daughters, girlfriends, or quote-unquote sex workers, um, either with or without their knowledge. Can you talk about how this is a gift to those degenerates?
1: Oh, it's it's just an enormous opportunity for them. even since the beginning of the pandemic, uh, I've seen a report of a woman who was investigated for obtaining mail-order abortion pills, pretending to be pregnant herself, so that she could force them upon her teenage daughter, uh, who did not want an abortion. Um, so that's that's one report. Um, and although it wasn't mail-order abortion, there's a young man in Florida whose father provided medication abortion in his medical office. Uh, And when his girlfriend got pregnant, he got some Mifeprex from the stock bottle in dad's office and put it in food or a drink that his girlfriend was eating because she was pregnant, didn't want an abortion. He didn't want to have the baby. So he gave her the medication without her knowledge and she lost the child and now he's in prison for it. So what is to stop? someone who wants a pregnant woman to have an abortion when she herself doesn't want one, what's to stop them from pretending to be the woman who needs an abortion, getting the pills, and then either just forcing her to take them outright or concealing them in wow. food or a beverage. Um, so for for uh, sex traffickers that are forcing um, not only women as a whole, but young women in particular, uh, lots of sex traffickers have underage women, uh, uh, that are enslaved to them. And, and now they don't even have to go to Planned Parenthood and pretend to be a family member that's brought in a girl an abortion. Uh, they just have somebody who's, they just have a woman get online, pretend to be the, um, the pregnant person get the medication and force the girl to take it. So it's it's removing protections across the board.
0: Wow. Uh, and I thought the Democratic Party, uh, Brent, was against chauvinism and Me Too, right, and preventing the abuse of women. Wow. Well, Are you saying that all of this is just euphemistic gobbledygook to hide their true motivation that they want more abortions? Yes. Yes. Um, On that point, Dr. Brent, a friend of mine, Joe Baca, maybe you saw this story. This was April 2020. He went undercover um, to show how easy it is to get mail-order abortion pills. Uh, So he's he's a friend, pro-life advocate, I believe, who's living in in Texas. And he successfully ordered an abortion pill regimen, uh, mifepristone, from two abortion sites, abortionrx.com and aidaccess.org, upon recommendation from a third site, which you're aware, plancpills.org. Um, he received the pill regimen from AbortionX.com and told Live Action News, I recently acquired abortion pills from AbortionRx.com under the name Jennifer Rodriguez. Uh, AbortionRx.com is already known to the FDA and it's listed on the FDA's abuse complaint issued over a year ago. Um, and, and he's a dude and he's getting it and he's saying he's a woman and showing how easy this was, um, even when, uh, you know, supposedly the safety guidelines were being enforced. The response of the American Association of Pro-Life OBGYNs, which you're a part of, to the Biden administration's rescinding of the safety regulations made a powerful point. You saw this. They said that the pri- they, they made the point that telemedicine appointments don't allow the physician to control the environment of the room or know who is hovering behind the computer screen um, for any type of traffickers or you know, degenerate fathers forcing their daughter to have an, have an abortion. So I think our listeners just need to be aware of this, that this is just more evidence of how the Democratic Party is more concerned pandering to pimps and degenerates than they are to the women they claim to serve.
1: Exactly. It, it's misogyny to, to yeah. treat women like this and to, to remove every safety protection they have, not just for their medical safety, but for their life and their health. You know, uh, a woman who's controlled by a sex trafficker is not in a safe position in any way, in any way at all. And, you know, statistically has a very short lifespan. And the FDA just made that worse.
0: Wow. Incredible. So, Dr. Ben, as we wrap up here, given all this data, I think, I think you've, made, you've made it incredibly clear that it is completely untenable for any pro-choicer to support telemedicine abortions if they claim to be who they are, which is an advocate for women and women's health care. So you've compiled some data points. We've gone through a bunch of these data points already that are incredibly helpful. Um, and we want to put some of these hard questions to the country, to pro-choice individuals. Um, for people to use in conversations with their friends, family members, and coworkers, and with their legislators, to say, how could you possibly support this, even if you're pro-choice, to challenge their indefensible support of telemedicine abortion? So why don't you go through some, some of those, any top ones you'd like to share, and maybe maybe we'll create some graphics with these questions and citations uh, for our listeners to share on social media.
1: I mean, the, the best one that covers, I mean, you know, can, could be considered to cover all of the points is just a very simple question. Um... When the safety of women and their health is at stake, why do you accept blanket, provably false statements from abortion industry leaders that are based on inaccurate and incomplete statistical data? Why do you accept that as part of your acceptance of of this agenda? It's easy to do a little research of your own and verify that they are making statements that are provably false. Hmm. So if they're willing to do that, when women's self safety and health is on the line, how can you say you care about women's health and safety? Wow. You just, you can't answer that question and maintain your support uh, for this kind of thing. That's right. Um, Another one, when many women who've had complications after an abortion are either too upset to see their abortionist again, or they try and are rebuffed and rejected, so they have to get care elsewhere, why do you accept data about the low rate of complications from an industry that doesn't see everybody who has complications afterwards? Um, I mean, it's, um, and another question and it's kind of off the medication abortion topic, and I don't know if we've talked about this or not before, but if you want to look at data, and this is maybe another topic for another day for you and I, but the the push for abortion all the way through the due date uh, that's happened in so many states, starting with New York a couple of years ago, um, in 1994, in November of 1994, the American Journal of Obstetrics and Gynecology looked at abortion mortality over a 15 year period of time and showed that when you have an abortion after 16 weeks, as compared to prior to 12 weeks, your risk of dying was 15 times higher. Wow. So why does someone who cares about the safety of women accept the push for abortion all the way through the due date for any reason when the risk of death is so much higher Past 16 weeks than wow. it is prior to 12 weeks. Wow. Again, you Those and are I are concerned ones. because the baby is at risk as well. But taking that factor out and just looking at women's safety, right. there is so much data that shows concerns about women's mm-hmm. safety uh, that is completely ignored.
0: That's right. Why? And as, Why? as, as you it's mentioned before, abortion. the abortion industry always says, you know, one death from an illegal abortion is too many. You know, and, and you've powerfully responded, Well, what about one death from a legal abortion? and yes. and and those are going to increase with this telemedicine mail order murder push by the Democratic Party.
1: They will. It's undeniable.
0: Wow, powerful. Well, thank you, dr. Brent. let's let's close up with a call to action uh, on this show. Um, we're all about waking people up and getting them off the bench. We don't want to just fill their head with knowledge because knowledge alone puffs up. Uh, we want people to be more informed so that they're more, equipped. Um, So for the listeners of the show who are uh, horrified by this party's push for abortion, no matter what, sacrificing both babies and their mothers on the altar of expanding abortion access and lining their pockets with as much blood money as possible, what can they do? What can we do in this moment um, to stand, particularly maybe in more pro-life states where you have a little bit more political capital to do something about it?
1: Well, the first thing you can do is educate yourself about the issue uh, so that you can knowledgeably speak and have some talking points of your own to to repeat. Um, Contact your governor's office and see if your governor would be friendly to the idea of issuing executive orders from the governor's office that put some limits on mail order abortion in your state. Contact your legislator. If your if your state's legislature or general assembly or whatever it's called in your state um, has a majority of conservatives and are pro-life, see what they are willing to consider doing about addressing uh, this mail order abortion agenda. Um, Then the next thing, you know, if you're a sidewalk advocate kind of person, if you've been stood outside with 40 days for life, or with sidewalk advocates, or just with your, your local church, mm-hmm. um, and you've been willing to try to talk to people, uh, that's that's very commendable. Continue doing it because a lot of people will still come to the abortion clinics. Yeah. But have in your hand the website address and the phone number for abortionpillreversal.com. Just go to that address you'll see the website address, you'll see the phone number, have those on little cards, note cards or business cards that you can just hand to people so that, so that they will have access to that information. But realize that if women are going to be getting this by mail order, they're not going to be coming to that clinic where you can put that card into their hand. So do what a gentleman, um, that I knew in Tennessee did. Um, he recruited friends and family to just chip in some money and pay for a billboard, hmm. uh, pay for a billboard on a busy street or interstate that says abortionpillreversal.com, one eight hundred whatever the number is. Okay. You know, just getting that awareness out there so that women who have a mail order abortion uh, delivered to their home have at least had the opportunity to be exposed to the idea that if they change their mind, there is something they can do.
0: That's right, Um, praise God.
1: So those are are talking points or action points, as you said. That's awesome,
0: I love that. And that is important, Dr. Brent, because um, this is is new territory for the pro-life movement. We've been aware that they've been pushing for this, that this has been their pipe dream. But how do you sidewalk advocate for an unborn child, an orphan scheduled to die when their mother never has to leave the living room. Uh, that's not a center that you can just go stand outside of and plead for the life of the child. So this is new territory and it's gonna make it more difficult to save the life of these children, which is why political advocation is so important to yes. accrue political power and to use it while we have it to love our neighbor. Uh, And the unborn child is the only class of neighbors that it is legal to kill. And because the abortion industry is not going to cover any of this data or information that you guys heard from Dr. Brent today, we need to do what we can. So uh, rally your individuals in your churches. Pay to pull out an ad on a billboard and put that up there. Print out postcards, like he said, with information on the abortion reversal pill hotline and some information about the abortion pill to hand to women as they're walking in to centers to still get it through an in-person evaluation. And lastly, share this episode, guys, um, because this is a lot of information you're not gonna hear anywhere else. Share this with friends, share this with a pro-choice friend, have conversations about this, and we'll create some graphics of some of these questions for social media for you to pose to individuals who all ought to be opposed to mail-order murder of the child and endangering the health of the mother. Thank you so much, Dr. Brent, for joining us today. We we appreciate your expertise. Praise God. Keep up the good work and and we'll do more of this. You're you're a a beloved guest of this show. Uh, The episodes always do well with you because you cut through the euphemistic lies and agenda so well, given your expertise. So keep it up, brother. You too. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Ben. Well, thank you guys for tuning in today. We really appreciate it. Please share this episode widely. If you enjoy the show, give us a rating and review. We really appreciate it. Subscribe at YouTube. We want more people to see this show, and your ratings and reviews actually help a lot. They move us up the ratings, more people up the reviews and charts, and more people will see the show. If you want to learn more and engage with me online, head on over to SethGruber.com, S-E-T-H-G-R-U, B as in baby boy, E-R.com, to sign up for my newsletter, to get more information, or to see my speaking schedule. If you'd like to see me speak live and local or to book me for an event, as my schedule is filling up for this summer already, and it's an important, propitious political moment to stand, discuss these ideas, and fire up your churches and youth groups and um, conservative groups to stand for life. Um, So thank you guys so much. Uh, We'll be back next week with a whole lot more, and keep standing for life. We're praying for you. Godspeed.